Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. Good morning. Good morning. I thought it was Friday yesterday, but actually today it is Friday. Today is Friday, the 26th of May, 2023. Happy almost beginning to Memorial Day weekend. Some of you are already in weekend mode, in long weekend mode. So uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful to God for his mercies new every morning. I'm grateful to God for um, the sacrifice of Jesus. I'm grateful to God for the sacrifices of men and women and their families over the course of so many generations that have um, won for us the freedoms we enjoy today as Americans. And so freedom isn't free. This is a good weekend to remember that truth and to honor those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice. Today's Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from Psalm 86, verse 15. But you, O Lord, now, any time that a verse starts with a therefore or a but or any other kind of word that makes you look back to what just transpired or to what was just discussed, look back at what was just said or discussed or transpired. But you, O Lord, because the psalmist is here noting the difference between the Lord our God and false gods, but you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Have you considered the mercies of the Lord this morning? Have you considered his grace? Have you thanked God that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and and faithfulness? Have you acknowledged your need For his grace and mercy today, God is steadfast in his love and he is ever faithful. It is a worthy pursuit to spend some time considering the character and the ways of God. What do you know to be true of God? What what do you know to be true of God? I know that God is love. I know that God is good. I know that God is holy. I know that God is before all things and in him all things hold together. I know that God is abundant in his power. I know that he's, I know that his understanding is beyond measure. I know that um, God never changes. I know that God is all sufficient. I know that God is powerful, even omnipotent. I know that, um, God is all-knowing. He sees all things. He knows all things. I know that God is omnipresent. I know that God is everywhere and with me right now. I know that God is perfect and wise. I know that God is faithful, unchangingly true. 
I know that God is beautiful. I know that God is kind. I know that God's will is good. I certainly know that God is just. He's he's right and righteous and perfect in all he does. I know that God is infinitely compassionate, merciful, and kind. I know that God is gracious. I know that God is love and God is loving. I know that God is glorious, infinitely great and beautiful and worthy of praise. Maybe that's a good one to end on. God is worthy. God is worthy. Spend some time today and this weekend just reveling, reveling in the things that you know about God, God's character and God's ways. And then just spend some time thanking God that he is God and he is good. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. So different times of the year, different things uh, are occurring and taking place. Like everybody follows their own calendar um, in many, many places. This is the time of year when school is coming to an end. Things are wrapping up. I just drove by an elementary school yesterday and there's a huge, like, I mean, it covers the whole like front yard <laughs> and it says, uh, tag, you're it. And this is an indication to parents that uh, we're... <laughs> We're back on duty. You got a whole day to fill every single day. Uh, all right. Yeah, there's no dropping them off anymore. They're not, the bus is not coming to pick them up. Yeah, tag, you're it. This is also the time of the year when the Supreme Court of the United States uh, issues decisions on cases that it has heard in the current term. And so I want to um, just read you in on, on two cases that the court decided and, uh, and released opinions on yesterday. Um, or earlier this week, I guess, uh, one of them was earlier this week and one of them was yesterday. All right, so one of them is in relationship to uh, water rights. So uh, this is actually not even something you've probably ever thought about unless the government told you you could not do something with the land you own because the EPA exerts exerts, um, federal jurisdiction over the water on your land. So in some places, this conversation has arisen because um, the government will say you can't even collect the water that falls onto your roof because that water um, is destined to enter into one of these waterways that will eventually pour into a body of water that is under the jurisdiction of the federal government. Uh, The waters, the quote unquote waters of the United States. So what are the waters of the United States and how far can the EPA reach into your private property to assert the right of the federal government over the waters as if those are waters of the United States. So can they claim the water that falls on your roof? Well, that is a question that's yet to be decided. But here's a question that was finally decided after 15 years. I want you to think about this. 15 years ago, this couple in Idaho planned to build a home on property they own It's next to a large lake. It's a vacant lot. They plan to build a house on it, but they were blocked because the EPA said that a portion of their property was considered protected wetlands. 
and um, was therefore uh, waters of the United States, and therefore they couldn't build their house. Well, all nine justices of the U.S. Supreme Court have decided that the EPA was wrong. It is it is wrong for the U.S. government to assert um, a restrictive right over over the rights of private property owners in the United States, unless that water is actually an integral part of some body of navigable. Yeah, it has to be navigable. That's such a great word, isn't it? <clears throat> I'm not going to try to say it too many times. In order for it to be waters of the United States. So that's what's going on here. Um, the court decided or ruled that, quote, waters of the United States are limited to bodies of water with consistent and permanent connection to navigable bodies of water that would otherwise also fall under federal jurisdiction. So there you go. That's one case. Um, and so here's the takeaway. Patience and persistence are virtues. That's, that's what I have to say. Patience and persistence are virtues when you are um, fighting all varieties of good fights. And so 15 years is a long time to be uh, legally bound up with the federal government. But um, I, think, <clears throat> I, think, I think the right decision was made here. And it's important that all nine justices agreed on that. Separately, the court sided with a 94-year-old Minnesotan woman named Geraldine Tyler, ruling that Hennepin County violated her constitutional rights when they seized and sold her house over an unpaid tax bill. So um, uh, Geraldine owed, um, owed some taxes, and instead of selling the property and then giving her all the proceeds in excess of what paid the fine or what paid the um, tax bill, they just took it all. They just took it all. And apparently there are a number of states where um, that has been legal. Alabama, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Maine, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Nebraska, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, and South Dakota all have laws on the books that allow them to seize private property, to sell it, and then to keep all the proceeds, to not give anything to um, the homeowner. 8,950 homes were sold because of unpaid taxes in those states, and former owners received nothing. So this um, this suit, um, this case decided, again, unanimously by the Supreme Court in favor of Geraldine Tyler, 94-year-old Minnesotan woman, um, uh, this case will affect each and every one of those 8,950 former homeowners um, whose, uh, whose properties were sold um, for unpaid taxes and their states kept the money. So... Uh, again, the government can't illegally seize your private property, even for unpaid taxes, without um, you being entitled at least to some portion of the proceeds of the sale. So that seems like a good decision as well. Um, All right, we're going to come back in just a moment and talk about the tick-tock clock uh, that is expiring on the U.S. debt. And um, and maybe um, circling back there, I hope somebody is taking care of Geraldine Tyler and somebody's been taking care of her in the interim. Um, let's be caring for our neighbors and let's be caring for the least of these, our brothers and sisters. Let's be caring for the widows and the orphans um, who are in our midst. I mean, let, let's be people who are paying attention to what's going on in the lives of others and let's be good neighbors. 
You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and this is Faith Radio. So glad you are listening to Mornings with Carmen. This is Bill Arnold. I would love for you to check out my podcast in the afternoons. It's called Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Spent the entire marketing budget coming up with that name. But we do scripture engagement and have lots of fun. Make sure you can check it out at myfaithradio.com. <laughs> All right. So I'm Carmen LaBerge. Welcome back to Mornings with Carmen here on the Faith Radio Network. Um, Paul Perot is the producer. Paul, can I just ask you a question real quick? Okay. <laughs> Go for it. So I grabbed a jacket on my way out the door this morning uh-huh. because it was like surprisingly brisk outside. And now I've just become aware. I've been wearing it now for, I don't know, the better part of an hour. And I'm standing here and I just realized, you know, it smells like bug spray. I'm feeling like the last person that wore this hoodie. Um <laughs> You know, was like wearing it at dusk, and um, and it covered it with bug spray. I, I don't know if you ever if you ever had this experience where you put on an article of clothing, and then some period of time later, you're like, this thing smells. Oh yeah, yeah, that yeah. happens. <laughs> bug spray is just not one of those things you really oh. go for as a as a fragrance Cologne. Of choice. Yes, exactly. No, no. Yes, today my fragrance of choice is bug spray. <clears throat> okay, so um, all right, back to the headline news. I feel I feel obligated to read you in on the fact that there's a clock ticking right now because if you're not paying anywhere else to the headline news and you're totally relying on me to make sure you know stuff. Um, here you go. Here is actually something you do need to know. The The U.S. government has to periodically raise what's called the debt ceiling in order to pay for money. Or, you know, we've already spent the money. The money's already spent. And so we have an obligation to pay it back. Um, but we have to keep raising our own debt limit in order to do that. So um, not surprisingly, there are discussions when this happens. There are discussions about how much money we're spending, how fast we're spending it, whether or not we ought to rein in our spending, and if so, how. So that is an ongoing conversation right now in Washington, D.C., between the U.S. Congress and uh, and the White House. And the negotiations are running precariously close to the deadline. So the president pitched a proposal late yesterday, and then he left D.C. for Camp David for the long Memorial Day weekend. Um it is my understanding that negotiators are continuing to work over the weekend, although mem- although members of Congress um, are also taking off for the long Memorial Day weekend with some sort of requirement that with 24 hours notice, they might need to be back to vote. Why is that? Well, because um, both houses of Congress need to vote on an agreement, and the Senate in particular has a 72-hour lead time requirement prior to a vote. And so if June 1 is, according to the U.S. Treasury Secretary, sort of the deadline, like the United States is not going to be able to pay all of, all of its bills that are due on June the 1st without raising the debt limit. And so time's literally running out because I don't know if you know this, but uh, June 1st is the middle of next week. <laughs> and so, you know, if you're not working until Tuesday, um, you know, there's a little bit of a TikTok underway here. So here's my encouragement. Let's pray that there is resolution, not only a resolution that keeps the nation from default, but actually prevents further erosion of our national standing in the world. Like, those would be my prayers this weekend in terms of this particular process. Um, let's come to a resolution. Let's, uh, let's absolutely recognize we cannot continue spending the way we're currently spending. Um, and we've got to rein in our spending. You know, it's just the appropriate and proper thing to do to learn to live within our means. Um, 
but we also have to pay our bills and we don't want to default. We can't default. It's just not even an option. So um, let's be praying for a resolution on that this weekend in Washington, D.C. And then I would love for you to be praying with me on what I'll just call the pro-life front across the country. And I want us to be praying on the pro-life front at both ends of life. So um, we have a lot of uh, a lot of headlines out there related to abortion and quote unquote abortion rights. And depending um, on sort of which half of the country you live in, and it's not like this is an east-west half or a north-south half. This is half the country has laws now on the books following um, the Dobbs decision of the Supreme Court last June. Um, Half the country, literally half the country, now either bans abortions altogether or has fairly um, restrictive abortion laws. Um, Nebraska would just be the latest uh, where a bill has been signed into law um, banning abortion after 12 weeks with, yes, some, some exceptions, sexual assault, incest, medical emergencies, um, other states across the country, uh, like South Carolina, their governor just signed a six-week abortion um, bill into law as well. So that's about half the countries, uh, half the countries, half the states across the country. The other half of the states across the country have done what um, Minnesota has now done, which is, you know, seeking to become basically an abortion sanctuary, um, a place where uh Women can come for abortions at any stage of pregnancy um, for any reason or no reason at all um, and from states across the country. And so um, part of what's happening there is that legislators are um, really restricting funding and um, exposure of of crisis pregnancy centers in Minnesota. Um, which actually reduces the options that women have. And so um, Positive Alternatives, which has been a program um, funding some 25 crisis pregnancy centers in Minnesota, um, that's a grant program that was initiated in 2005. It is ending. Um, and so in addition to wanting to be a an abortion sanctuary, Minnesota is also aiming to be a place Um, squeezing out life alternatives. Uh, And so um, that's going to require that private funding really dramatically increase for crisis pregnancy centers, for pro-life alternatives in states that are becoming so-called abortion sanctuaries across the country. And this is literally, uh, you know, there's like half the states in the country um, accelerating Uh, access to abortion, while the other half of states um, work to protect the pre-born and moms as well. And then on the other end of life, uh, we would be talking about assisted suicide and euthanasia. And um, uh, so, you know, I just I want you to to be aware of what is happening across the country. Um, Maybe we'll take time to read in on assisted suicide and euthanasia. Um, on another day. But from a from a Christian worldview, there's really no pragmatic difference between conversations related to the preborn and conversations related to so-called good death. And I guess I would just remind us of this. A good death is a death um, lived uh, or experienced um, with the Lord. Like that is the only good death. And it is genuinely good death. And so maybe as Christians, we need to be talking about the reality that whether we live or die, 
um, we are the Lord's. He is sovereign over the gift of life, and he is sovereign for all of life. And so let's give him the honor and the glory do him in the midst of the conversations related to every stage of life, every circumstance of life, and yes, um, the beginnings and the end of life as well. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We are uh, going to take a, uh, uh, a pause here to go upwards with Max Lucado, and then we'll continue our conversation on this Friday of Memorial Day weekend. You're listening to Faith Radio. Our friend Chris Martin is going to join us next. You may have uh, heard of a Surgeon General's warning. You've seen the Surgeon General's warning on like cigarette packs. Um, How would you put a Surgeon General's warning on social media? Like how would you do that? What kind of sticker would you make and where would you put it? We're going to ask Chris Martin that question next. Um, Also in one just tidbit of news that just scrolled across um, my Chiron, which means, you know, that news feed thing on the bottom of my screen. Belgium, um, uh, U.S. or Belgium, he's not a U.S. aid worker. He is an aid worker who is Belgium. Um, and he uh, has been in uh, prison in Iran for 15 months. In one of those situations where we know that Um, Iran is holding someone hostage because they want something. So it's called hostage diplomacy. We talk about it from time to time in relationship to U.S. citizens who are being held in places around the world because some foreign country wants something from us. Ordinarily, they want someone from us that we have in custody. And so a prisoner swap um, is taking place today. It was negotiated by Oman um, in Jordan and um, Iran. it is uh, for the release of Olivier van der Castille, um, who is a Belgian aid worker. He has been um, held hostage in Iran for 15 months, and a prisoner exchange is taking place, I think, like right now, for an Iranian diplomat who was convicted of, um, of terrorism. So that's happening right now, and um, anytime a person is set free, we want to celebrate it, but we also recognize the grave danger of negotiating with people um, who are taking others hostage because it really does um, just encourage others to, to do likewise. So let's be praying on that front this morning. All right, again, Chris Martin's going to join us. The Surgeon General of the United States has issued a warning this week. How would you apply a Surgeon General's warning label to social media? Like, how would you do that? I need some creative ideas here. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. All right, I'm looking for a social media um, Surgeon General's warning label. I feel like anytime you open a social media app of any kind, there should be this like warning label that you now have to click through. A warning label from the Surgeon General. Use of this app may lead to depression, anxiety, loneliness, other negative effects on your mental health, emotional well-being, and other nasty things. I don't know. Chris Martin is joining us, the Terms of Service newsletter. If you uh, log on to it right now on Substack, you're going to see this discussion about the Surgeon General's warning this week related to social media. Chris, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Hey, glad to be back, Carmen. How are you? Good. Could you get some graphic designer working on some cool thing that looks a whole lot like that Surgeon General's warning on like a cigarette pack? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll get right on that. I'm sure I mean, that'll work really well. And I have a graphic designer <laughs> on call at all times, so that'll be fine. <laughs> right? That's what we need. We need something that's like a pop-up that you actually, I don't know. I mean, everybody would just click through it. But um, tell us what has happened this week and um, and why. I mean, I, I think this is good. Like, right, the Surgeon General is, like, finally on board. Um, does he go far enough? Yeah. Um, so quoting from an article about this uh, in a newspaper from earlier this week, uh, the, na- the nation's top health official, the Surgeon General, issued an extraordinary public warning on Tuesday about the risks of social media to young people, urging a push to fully understand the possible harm to mental health and well-being of children and adolescents. So this is Dr. Vivek Murthy, um, who uh, has obviously been in the news for a lot of reasons over the last couple of years. And uh, he issued this sort of declaration, a uh, warning from the Surgeon General. Historically, this kind of warning has carried a lot of weight regarding, uh, yeah, public health crisis around uh, cigarette use, um, obesity in the early 2000s, and other similar topics, the, the HIV AIDS epidemic, uh, even earlier than that. And so these kinds of warnings have really uh, proven to carry a lot of weight in the past, um, which is kind of funny. Like when I first read this, I was like, wow. Surgeon General is coming out and saying so- social media may be harmful to the mental health of young people. And every 15 year old in America said, finally. Um, but like, I think it's good. Um, I think it's good that this is happening in a sort of official capacity, even if the Surgeon General is just saying something that many of us who pay any attention to this stuff have kind of known for a really long time, even the teenagers who social media is harming. I think if you asked, I think there are even some studies that are out there about this. That if you ask a lot of teenagers, a solid half of them, if not maybe a little more than that, would say, yeah, I definitely see this in myself or my peers, um, that social media is harming my mental health and development. However, uh, and this is where things get sticky, kind of to your joke about, you know, do we put a label, a pop up in every app that anybody opens at social media? If you, you know, if you're under the age of 18 you know, what do we actually do about this? That's where things start to get sticky and complicated. Um, because while I'm glad that the Surgeon General has done this, and I think it's perhaps a bit overdue, though better late than never, as we always say, um, I don't know what we actually do about this in the apps. Right. Now, do do I think that like, like something that's really important about this, and I've had, a, as you can imagine, a lot of conversations about this over the years, is that Parents have been fighting the battle for the hearts and minds of their teenagers against social media alone. Like you have you have some of the most brilliant engineers in the world creating these apps to get teens to spend as much time on them as possible. Um, and then you just have parents who want to love their teenagers and like keep them disciplined and and care for their mental health. But at the same time, don't want to prevent them from socializing with their friends on all these apps. And so parents, I think, even the most strict ones or the the wisest ones have been ill-equipped to fight this fight. And mm-hmm. to me, the the government, as as much as a lot of, you know, Christians especially don't like government intervention and regulation on things, parents, even the most well-meaning attentive ones, need help in this fight. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who really has the the power and the tools to help them other than in our in our case as Americans the US government in having making statements like this in requiring certain things of apps that that need to be done uh, regulations or otherwise and so i think i think parents need help in this fight 
And the Surgeon General making this statement and issuing this warning is, I think, a really important, perhaps kind of first big step in that regard. Yeah, I think it's really good. I think the conversations taking place at the congressional level are really, really important. And I think this is um, a part of that larger conversation. Um, We have a study that um, you and I have both read that uh, 64% of teenagers would trade their voting rights for TikTok access. Uh, Montana became the first state to completely outlaw um, downloading the TikTok app within the borders of the state. I have no idea how that would, how, um, yeah, I mean, how that law would be um, upheld, but, um, or applied, but 64% of teenagers would trade their voting rights for access to TikTok. Um, That's, that's telling. (laughs) Well, this is kind of funny. And like, uh, yeah, this this totally checks out. Frankly, I'm surprised it's not higher. And mm. I'm going to postulate I have no data to back this up. But I would say that if you pulled 2000 American adults between the ages of 50 and 60, um a lot a high percentage of 50 to 60 year olds would sooner give up their right to vote than their Facebook access. Mm. Um and so I think there's a little bit of picking on teens here. Um, because I, I think it's important always to recognize that the parents of those teens are often as addicted to Facebook as their teens are to TikTok. Mm. Um, now obviously political action and political interest tends to get stronger as you get older. And, and, and as anybody who's looked at voting statistics over the years, like older people vote more than younger people. So like, you know, could that percentage be a little bit lower among the parents of these teenagers? Yeah. Who, you know, who would give up Facebook for voting, but yeah. Look, I don't blame them because, frankly, TikTok does a lot more for them, they feel, than their than their elected officials. TikTok entertains them for hours a day. It delivers them insights and the news. Uh, their elected officials just frustrate them, don't do what they want them to do. Or even if even if perhaps these people, have, young people have voted or expressed political interest before and the person they want has won and they've been disappointed by someone you know, going back on their promises or not doing what they said they were going to do. Uh, yeah, I, I like, I'm not saying it's right to, uh, to want to use TikTok rather than vote, but it's like 100% understandable. This isn't surprising to me. Um, frankly, I am a little surprised it's not even a higher percentage. Um, and I think this should be more of an indictment on our elected officials than the teenagers who like to use TikTok. Yeah, I also think it's a it's a failure of like civics education because it's not just about um, whether or not I like what my elected officials are doing. The benefits of living in a democracy and, and in the United States of America um, and all of the benefits that you get through your local state and national government, um, you know, they're, they're all influenced by who is elected I mean, elections totally. do do matter. And even though I might not like the current set of elected officials, um, the that doesn't change the fact that I really do appreciate that um, the potholes get filled in on the road um, and the bridge gets. If prepared. they do. <clears throat> and well, right. yes, I mean, well, or when they do. I mean, right. I mean, there is a yeah. I mean, it does take a long time. Yeah. We have a little little bridge near our house that's been <laughs> it's been out for uh, four years now. Um, but, you yeah. know, we've all we've all found a workaround and eventually it will get fixed. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that it's not frustrating and that things don't take time. Um, but if you're willing to trade 
I just, I guess, I mean, Memorial Day weekend is a good reminder of this to me. Like, the freedoms sure. that we have are not free. And yeah. there is, and I, and I a, think, yeah, I just think, I think young people and maybe people in their 50s and 60s, I mean, you make a good point. Um, if I start asking the question to, um, you know, people in older generations, would you trade your voting right for your Facebook access? And people start saying yes. Like the civics education thing isn't just a breakdown for young people. It's a breakdown across yeah. the board. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think to, you know, things have been things in the U.S. in the life of an 18 year old haven't been perfect. But in terms of like, you know, um, fighting for our right for basic democratic freedom hasn't maybe been uh, you know, so much at the fore as it has been for their parents or even their grandparents, obviously. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think it's easier for young people to take those things for granted, not just because they're young and not fully developed and foolish or whatever, but because they haven't seen those things under threat maybe in the same way that their parents and grandparents have. And so I think it, it may be a little bit easier for a young person today to take to to be blinded by their frustration with the political process and miss the um sort of miss the the cost that is paid for those things and that those things are not implied or they're they're not they shouldn't be assumed um and yeah so i think if you consider what's happened in the life of an 18 year old they haven't had to face the very real possibility that those things could go away and maybe the same way that older generations have and we should say this study said would you give up voting rights for one year in exchange for TikTok access. They didn't say like, mm-hmm. you know, for the rest of your life or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's an important kind of qualifier for this conversation. Yeah, I might be willing to make that offer though. Um, if a whole generation of people would be willing up to give up their right to vote in 2024, it might, I'm just kidding. I take that back. I didn't say that out loud. Um, but that does lead us to a conversation um, after a brief break about where you might announce if you were going to um, make a run for the presidency of the United States, which a growing number of people um, are thinking about doing. I just read an article this morning that maybe the governor of North Dakota might get in, maybe the governor of South Dakota, um, a number of other people considering a run for the presidency. One governor has recently announced his name is Ron DeSantis, and he chose to announce for the presidency on something called Twitter Spaces. And because we know about Twitter spaces from our friend Chris Martin, we're going to ask him about it next. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen. As you know, this is a rebroadcast of the live radio show carried on the Faith Radio Network. There's a lot going on at Faith Radio. Tons of free resources just waiting for you and for you to share with others at MyFaithRadio.com. How does that all happen? Well, it happens through listener support. So Faith Radio, Mornings with Carmen, all available because of listener support from listeners, well, just like you. If you're a supporter, thank you so very much. If you'd like to become a supporter today, just visit MyFaithRadio.com. And again, thanks for being a part of what we do every day at Mornings with Carmen. Do you remember um, when you actually had to like get up off the couch and go change the channel on a physical television and you had three um, options of broadcast media. Um, you had NBC, CBS, and ABC. Maybe, depending on where you lived, you had a PBS feed. Um, and um, yeah, that was pretty much it. Um, now, you not only do not have to get up off the couch, you don't even have to have a television. Um, and an increasing number of services are streaming. And an increasing number of news um, outlets are going 
all in on digital, some of them on social media apps. So the Florida governor, Ron DeSantis, announced his run for the presidency on something called Twitter Spaces. Um, and <clears throat> if you've been paying attention, then you know uh, it it didn't work. And so I thought it would be a good question for Chris Martin this morning. Chris, uh, read us in on just where we are in terms of the choices that not only politicians, but news outlets are making in terms of using social media um, to deliver news, and in this case, um, a, a, a very important announcement. Yeah, uh, what Ron DeSantis did was incredibly foolish, and I think he needs to have a really stern conversation with whoever told him this would be a good idea, because it, you don't have to be a political mastermind or, frankly, even a social media guru to know that this just wasn't a good idea on a number of levels. We don't need to get into all the reasons. It just really, uh, it, Twitter has been one of the most technically unstable platforms for like the last six months. They've fired so many people who are are in, important to keep it running. And that, that to make, like this is, is the biggest announcement, biggest political moment of his life. And to entrust that to a platform that, Forget its ideology or whatever you think about Elon Musk. But to put all that aside, it has had it has been riddled with technical issues up and down in the last six months because of the all the cuts they've had and things like that that, that are taking engineers away from keeping the app running. To entrust the most important political moment of your life to something so unreliable is downright foolish, and it and it's kind of crazy to me that it happened. Um, but I think politicians and presidential candidates moving into this next season um, are going to have a really important set of decisions ahead of them as far as how they're going to relate to social media platforms. Because now more than ever in the past, like which platforms you work with is almost a political declaration in and of itself. Whereas in the, mm -hmm. in the past it was like, well, you try to be present on every platform so that you could get as many people as possible. Whereas now like, because of how Elon Musk has taken Twitter, it's like I would understand if some of you know uh, President Biden or other Democrat candidates who may decide to get into the fray, um, I would be surprised if they try to do anything with Twitter just because of the negative reputation Twitter has now among people on the left. And like, who's going to court people? Like, who on the right is going to court Twitter, especially a after this and b when there are a lot of people, a lot of Republicans and conservatives who still don't really trust Twitter entirely, even though Musk has taken it over. And so there's just so many like ideological issues around what social media platform you're using and for what these days that it's it's getting a lot more fractured, which isn't super surprising. But I think um, anybody, especially, you know, on the Republican side, because they're the, the sort of challenging side here in this election, um, whatever you think about former President Donald Trump, he, he and his team are better at this than anybody who's entered the fray so far. And DeSantis's camp proved that at full volume this past week. Um, and so the Trump campaign has historically been very good at social media, uh, at getting attention. Um, again, whether you like them or not, they're very good at it. And so uh, this just showed to me uh, from a social media perspective that Ron DeSantis's crew um, is not even in the same league as Trump's crew when it comes to using social media to advance their message and their campaign. And that came, and if you, that came very clear, became very clear 
if anybody happened to see the way that the former president uh, capitalized on DeSantis's flop earlier this week, it was in terms of social media and attention grabbing masterful, even if it was um, reprehensible. Yeah, and a part of that, um, if if you're listening and you missed it, um, the former president Donald Trump, uh, his his campaign posted um, an AI generated video of Ron DeSantis featuring a voice clone. Um, so AI did this. I mean, they did this. It was a tongue in cheek parody showing um, Governor Ron DeSantis and Elon Musk speaking to the devil and to Adolf Hitler, um, and yeah. it was posted almost as fast as the you know, as the original campaign video was posted by the DeSantis campaign. And so part of the conversation, Chris, I think this this go around is going to be what do we trust in terms of like what we see and what we think we hear and who we think we see and hear saying and doing what we think we see them saying and doing, because AI may actually be like the biggest player in this campaign cycle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're we're going to have to keep our head on a swivel big time regarding any deep fake stuff, AI generated stuff, all of that for sure. Um and yeah, I think that was exactly the piece of content. Uh, I think the former president created a lot of content around DeSantis's situation, but that was the one I had in mind in particular. It was it was it was it felt maybe very uncomfortable in one sense, but at the same time I was like this is this just like this is a perfect example of how much better Trump is at this than DeSantis's crew. And so I think, yeah, we're going to have to. And at the same time, I was like, I had this feeling of foreboding of just like, oh, my mm-hmm. gosh, mm-hmm. like this totally. is this is going to get really hairy really fast. Totally. Um, that was posted on Truth Social. Remind us, you know, just in terms of like who is using making use of, of which platform and what platform. I think people are probably a little bit surprised that um, the former president hasn't remer- re- um, returned to Twitter after Elon Musk bought it. Um, the alignment of Ron DeSantis with Elon Musk is interesting, I think, because the former president spent so much time and amassed such an audience on Twitter um, and now uses um, Truth Social exclusively, which is his own social media platform. Could you just, I don't know, kind of read us in on the landscape? Yeah, Um I'm not sure. I don't remember exactly if he has a contractual obligation to continue using mm. Truth Social, but obviously President Trump is incredibly invested in Truth Social. And so for him to use Twitter would be uh, sort of, um, again, like like I was talking about before, uh, it, would, it would be a problem to use Twitter over Truth Social because of his own like crew that he has at Truth Social, both as an, an investor and in, like creator or, or proponent of that platform. And because so many people who love him went there instead of Twitter. And so it's like, yeah, it is almost like you have each campaign has their own pet platform is this weird kind of situation. But the reason, yeah, the reason Trump isn't going back to Twitter is again, I don't remember, I don't recall if he has a contractual obligation to not use it to basically has a non-compete with what social media platform he uses, or if he's simply choosing not to, but especially after this whole DeSantis, a kind of getting in bed with Twitter and B the debacle that, uh, came out of it. I don't see President, former President Trump, going to use Twitter anytime soon. Why would he? He doesn't need to. All of his, all of his truths or whatever the things are that get posted to Truth Social get screenshotted and put over on Twitter anyway. So he doesn't even really need mm. the platform. Mm. 
Okay, see, interesting, interesting. Um, all right, um, one quick uh, life update from Chris as we uh, as we end our conversation today. Wednesday night, you served at your last youth group. Um, what was that like? You've been doing student ministry for fourteen years. Yeah, it was great. It was it was kind of sad. Um, it'll be more honestly, it'll be more sad in the fall when school starts back up, and I'm not going back to mm. a youth group. Um, and some students that we really love uh, that we've been with since they were sixth graders are graduating this year. And so it was kind of sad in, in that regard as well, but it feels also kind of appropriate to be graduating from youth ministry. Finally, at the same time that they are graduating from youth ministry and from high school. Um, so yeah, it was really great. And I'm really grateful to have served in student ministry virtually since I was a high schooler myself. Um, and it's been a blast. I recommend it to anyone. Um, but I look forward to we're, we're having, we're welcoming a second daughter in this fall. And so look forward to, uh, this fall, having a little bit more time to help with bedtime on Wednesday and things like that. Mm-hmm. So, I love that. I love that. Graduating from youth ministry to parenthood. I think it's good. I think it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, we love you. We appreciate you. Um, have a wonderful Memorial Day weekend. And thank you for spending part of your morning with us. Yeah, thank you. That's Chris Martin. You should be um, subscribed to his Terms of Service newsletter on Substack. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge. This is Faith Radio. Okay, do you remember the time that Jesus healed the um, the man who his friends like let down through the roof? Um, he couldn't walk. Do you remember that story? Um, it's you can think of it as the story of the four friends, or you could also think of it as the story um, of of the man you know who Jesus uh, forgives his sins, and then um, they're like, "Hey, dude, we actually brought him because his legs don't work," and and then uh, he healed him. Uh, in that way as well. And you remember the 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 man at the pool? Um Jesus, you know, comes upon all of these people who are um hurting and broken and diseased. And there is one particular individual who has been there a very very long time. He's described as an invalid. He can't get to the water himself. Do you remember these stories? Luke 5 and John 5 is where these stories appear. Um there are other stories where, you know, Jesus heals those who are unable Um, to walk. They're described as as lame. Um, Those miracles are happening today. We're going to tell one of those stories next at the start of the next hour. You have been listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LaBerge, and we've got another hour up next. So stay tuned. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.